Plenty of masterpieces are just one cliche after another. Mozart, for example. But that's quite natural, because if you think about it, two cliches that have met one another can beget the most original and profound effect. Thomas Adis. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. We talked in our last episode about the stereotypes and connotations that come with certain names. Today's episode, we're going to be diving into a similar concept, but overall stereotypes and cliches, and how, as an author, you can use them to your benefit. I think this kind of goes without saying, but we're going to say it also. You use cliches and stereotypes to sort people, not to victimize people. If you're victimizing people, it's bullying. Stop it. Don't do that. That being said, what your audience already has in their head is going to be a powerful tool in you telling your story, not only telling something with depth, but with brevity. You encounter the use of cliches and stereotypes in your world daily. Just look at any targeted advertisement. And any advertisement that says this specific group of people, I want to sell to. So I'm going to use stereotypes that they identify with. Now, I will be clear, in this episode, we're talking about useful stereotypes that help label certain groups of people with interests and desires and likes, not based on things like race and sexual orientation. Those are bad stereotypes. We're talking about the good kind of stereotypes that help you identify the characteristics of somebody. But those are things that marketing teams use to target customers and find them. As an author, you can use the cliches and the stereotypes to help you speed up descriptors. Now, again, not talking about race, not talking about sexual orientation. I'm talking about, oh, I don't know, stereotypical nerdy boy in his bedroom playing video games all day. You create a mental image of that. Your readers create a mental image of that. I don't have to spend the time describing the pale person sitting in a computer chair surrounded by cans of Mountain Dew. We can already guess he's wearing a headset, talking emphatically at nothing, with posters on the wall and probably Star Wars toys on the dresser that's next to the bed. Have you seen my office? (laughs) Maybe that's where it comes from. (laughs) They help also the readers retain characters and remember them by sorting them with these cliche ideas. The reason it's helpful is because it helps the reader know who to be interested in. They can immediately know and understand that character without spending time on them, so they can then focus on your main character, who defies a lot of the stereotypes. And please don't tell me she's defying stereotypes, because I automatically discredit you as a storyteller when you do. Show me she does, don't tell me she does female is part of the conclusion, not why you got there. The other reason why authors will use stereotypes is because the readers need to be able to assess the characters quickly to get a mental image of them. The archetypes are really helpful in this. Again, in the gaming world, it's, okay, these are the paladins. I immediately picture a buff person standing in a lot of armor 
and maybe glowing a little because, you know, they have the divine blessing of a good god. Another thing you can use to immediately stereotype a character and give your readers a quick mental image of them is a physical descriptor of some kind. I do this especially in fight scenes where we don't care about the characters afterwards, so I don't want to name them. She hits the fat guy first and then hits the scarred guy second. And if I told you whatever muscle is on that character came from carrying library books, you have a complete mental image of that character already. Some really good examples of characters that carry a weight of this stereotype with them would be Molly Weasley. She typifies the stay-at-home mom character who brings in whatever strays come into her house and takes care of them, too. So when you are trying to quickly give your readers a mental image, you can say, he walked in the room like Darth Vader. We get an exact image of that character because you gave an example of something that's already written in your reader's code. Those secondary and tertiary characters that you're using these cliches and stereotypes to help describe, it doesn't mean that they don't have detailed personal lives. You could have created an entire backstory for them, but your reader does not care. They don't care about the waitress in the bar who had a nice smile because she's not relevant to the story other than the fact that she brought them the drinks. So as I already mentioned, these things are very useful, especially for your tertiary characters, because it is fleeting. They are in and they're out of the story. They don't really need to exist beyond being a stereotype. Some of the more classic examples of this are your dumb blondes, your sleazy politicians, your flirty waitresses. These are characters that we can quickly identify and set aside. We don't need to know anything more about the sleazy politician because he's a sleazy politician. These are therefore great stereotypes to throw at those tertiary characters so it doesn't just look like a big wall of copy-pasted NPCs. You throw a couple of these at the wall of NPCs and it becomes a much more rich and interesting and diverse world without you as an author needing to spend a whole bunch of time describing each individual person and their backstory. When it comes to your secondary characters, you can still use these, but a little bit more carefully. They're used to clump characters together. For example, your Fire Nation, they're aggressive, your Earthbenders are stoic and hard to influence. But we know some of these characters personally, and they do show those traces. Prince Zuko is aggressive. But once we get to know him as a secondary character a little closer, we see the other elements to him that make him more than just the stereotype of being part of the Fire Nation. Clichés are especially useful in creating a foundation and a starting point for these characters. Yes, Cedric Diggory is a Hufflepuff. We know that he's good and loyal and kind because he's a Hufflepuff. We learn that he's also very brave and self-sacrificing. We don't feel lost in the character. We're just diving deeper as the story goes on. I would also say a lot of your cliches surrounding your secondary cast will come in the role they play in the story. A lot of your heist books and movies are this guy is the lockpicker. That's his job, the safecracker. 
the role that surrounds the character and their purpose in the story feeds into the stereotype so we can keep track of everybody. Some of the most common tropes and stereotypes within this secondary character category are the old mentor, the sidekick, the prince charming, or the cheerleader or the nerd. I will probably get some fight back on this, but I will even say stereotyping your main characters to start are helpful. It's not only helpful in your reader getting an understanding of your characters right away, but in telling about the voice of your character. Within this, those stereotypes usually come with some kind of twist. So you have this character that is the traditionally stoic fighter character that doesn't say a lot. So you assume that he has a very bad past and maybe an abusive growing up and he's just facing the world the best he can and is not very good with people. But in Lee's example from Black and White, the character Humphrey Black grew up in a very different way. He doesn't have to have this dark, abusive parent past. He was raised in a single-parent family with his dad and his big brother that he looked up to quite a bit. It's not that Black isn't this dark, broody, violent character who doesn't like talking to people. He very much is that cliche. But the twist is not the dark and troubled past. So if you're assigning a cliche and a stereotype to your main character, make sure that they are the main character by making sure you have a twist applied. Some of the common tropes for main characters include the dark and mysterious past, the orphan hero, a la Batman, the godfather of crime. You also, of course, get the rebellious teen or the rebel leader. So we have Katniss Everdeen, who is the rebel teen leader character, but she doesn't want the role. She's bad with people. She has this twist of the leadership without the social skills. And that makes her more interesting than if she were a secondary or tertiary character. You wouldn't add that twist as often. You can, of course, design your own. You can mix and mash. Like our quote at the beginning said, when two cliches come together, they can create something profound and unique. It also gives you a chance to world build a little bit. The creation of your own stereotypes, you can create pop culture references within it. If you have a pantheon and you want certain ideas to go with the things that they represent, you can then use a character to help describe those. So someone says that Grandpa looks like Splargan, the deity of abundance and fulfillment. And we also have an idea of who Splargan is because we've met Grandpa. When you understand that the readers already have these ideas assigned to certain characters to how you introduce will really help you help them read your books. All of the cliches, all of the stereotypes that you assign to the smaller characters, even your main characters, helps to lead the reader in the right direction and makes it a lot easier for them. To do that, you just need to write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>